Well, good morning to each and every one of you. Certainly glad uh, you're here. I'm certainly glad that we are together. We uh, continue here on this Lenten journey to walk in the steps of Christ, to learn from Him as He teaches, and to experience uh, things as He uh, goes about that last week of His life. Last week, uh, if you remember, we uh, had our focus on uh, this uh, pitcher and bowl and towel. We talked at length of uh, what it means uh, for Jesus to have a servant's heart. We remember uh, that Jesus was always ready to serve. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, served uh, in, in all sorts of ways. And he did that very demonstrably as he washed his disciples' feet. And so just as Jesus served, so we are called to serve as well. We need to look for ways to wash the feet of other people. Last week, we, we also talked at length as we put our focus on this uh, pitcher and bowl and towel of what it means to have our own feet washed. We agreed that, uh, that it is quite disarming. We were encouraged to put aside our pride and any feelings of unworthiness and let Jesus tend to our needs. Let Him to meet each and every one of us individually and to touch us deep within. Jesus stands to cleanse us, to wash us from the inside out. And only then will we be able to serve as Jesus would have us to serve. Jesus went on in that same context of the upper room to teach a new commandment. We read about that in John 13, 31 through 38. So let's hear from God's Word, and may we find ourselves strengthened as we listen to this Word. Again, from John 13, 31 through 38. When He had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Him, in Himself, and will glorify Him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told you, the Jews, so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So this is God's Word, and may it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us, not only as we hear this Word read, but as we make effort now to take our lives and apply them to this Word. May God be with us all. As I mentioned just very briefly a second ago, the context of today's passage is the meal Jesus shared with His disciples in the upper room. 
Jesus gave his disciples a lot to think about in, in the context of what went on in the upper room. Jesus left them to consider what it meant for his body to be broken and his blood spilled. Even though there's very little mention of that uh, meal in the Gospel of John, we, we know that Jesus taught about such things in the, the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The disciples were also left to consider what it meant to have their feet washed. Now, we do read about that. As we talked last week, uh, we, we read about that in the Gospel of John. We're thankful for that glimpse of the occurrence of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So after dinner, Jesus dismissed Judas to do what he had in his heart to do. We know that for whatever myriad of reasons, Jesus went on to betray Jesus. For some time, the religious authorities looked for an opportunity to put Jesus to death. They had been wanting to do that for a long time. And Judas helped those uh, religious powers that be to achieve just that. When Judas left, Jesus uh, began to, to share other things that he wanted to get across. And again, all this in the context of the upper room. Jesus began to talk about a new commandment that really was not all that new, save for now he was... Uh, was challenging his disciples and for us to, to live out that commandment in a, in a different way. A new commandment I give you, he said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. We, we know that from the, the Old Testament. Jesus uh, repeated that uh, verse many, many times. It was a that love your neighbor as yourself was a part of the so-called holiness code. You can find it in Leviticus 19.18, and it forms the basis of what Jesus is now teaching in this new commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself was understood by Jesus to be the greatest commandment of all, along with that other commandment to love your, your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the commandment to love one another was really not all that new. For Jesus, what made this commandment new was that it would now be the distinguishing mark for all those who, who chose to follow him, ourselves including. It becomes the distinguishing mark of our fellowship together, to love one another. By this, says Jesus, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The call to love one another demands a response. None of us can sit on the sidelines. None of us can, can, can just be off to the side, keeping things at arm's length. Loving one another demands a response. We give ourselves to Christ not to sit idly by, but to get involved in the lives of those who are around us. That begins with the church, and it ripples out from there. The lesson from John's gospel is directed primarily to the church. Love for one another, 
is what sets us apart. Love for one another is who we are. Love for one another is how we live out our identity as Christians. I think the old song puts it well. And they will know we are Christians by our love. We may be recognized for a lot of things by the world, for right and for wrong, but the one thing that we should be recognized for and the one thing that should truly set us apart above all things is our love for one another. And so the question comes to to each and, and every one of us, it comes to us as a collective body. How are we known by those who are around us? I pray they see us as a community of faith that exhibits the love of Jesus and the love that Jesus talked about, so much so that we are sharing love all over the place, not just here, but that things do radiate out from here to where we are loving in indelible, powerful, and profound ways in the lives of those we meet. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We, we, we talked about that at, at least to some length last week. We, we love because God first loves us. God's love empowers us. God's love enables us to love like we never thought possible. Let's hear this. The simple plan for any Christian for any church is to love like Jesus loved. To love like Jesus loved. And as we are first loved by Christ's love, then we find ourselves at that very special place of being able to turn and to share that same love with those who are around us. The simple plan for any Christian, for any church, is to love like Jesus loved. The Christian life, you see, is, is not just simply believing in Jesus, but living life in such a way that we are following His example as God gives us grace and strength to do so. Loving like Jesus has everything to do with living out the, the things that Jesus said as He preached from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek, about loving your, your enemies, and praying for those who persecute you. I find that a tall order, and I figure that you do as well, save for God's loving presence, making a supreme difference in our lives, giving us again the, the ability, the, the enablement, to, uh, to go and to love as He first loves us. Loving like Jesus has everything to do with loving sacrificially. It has everything to do with living sacrificially. It means laying ourselves aside so that Christ may have His way with us. It means laying ourselves aside so that others might benefit as they see Jesus in us. So, for Jesus, 
Washing the disciples' feet was only a start of the things that he wanted to get across there in the upper room. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew that the end was near, and he cared enough to not turn back. Every one of us can be eternally thankful for that, that Jesus loved us enough that he did not turn back. Eventually, Jesus would make his way all the way to the cross. The cross, if anything, tells us that there is nothing love will not do for the beloved. Nothing. If love is in place, then the one who loves will do anything in order to express that love to those who are loved. Christ went to great lengths to express his love for all. We, we know that to be the case as he makes his way to the cross. And there as he suffered, we know and understand the deepest, most profound show of love there ever has been. And in that love, we find ourselves influenced to no end. We are drawn to the cross and allow Jesus to minister to our every need, even to that deepest of needs, that need of being forgiven, of being redeemed, of being set free, of being released from the guilt that so has a hold upon our lives. I love the story told of the farm boy who came out of his house and heard a commotion by the chicken coop. The boy ran quickly and found a hen being attacked by a hawk. He, he stopped, he picked up his stick, he, he ran to the hen's defense, but it was too late. The boy sadly looked at the hen and wondered why she had not fled to the safety of the, of the chicken coop, which was only a few feet away. And it was soon then that the boy found his answer. From under the wings of that hen came four little chicks. She sacrificed herself for their salvation just as Jesus did for you and me. Jesus begins our passage for today talking about being glorified. And by so doing, let's make no mistake about it, he had the cross in mind. It's ironic that the cross would even be associated with being glorified. The cross was an un glorified way to die. Jesus says this, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself, and will glorify Him at once. Now that's a mouthful. I read it over and over and over again this week. It, it really takes some uh, some, some thought and, and, and contemplation, even some prayer. What, what is Jesus trying to get across? Essentially, what Jesus is talking about is, is glory of a different sort. He's talking about the sort of glory where God's love comes shining through. And because of that, the Son is also glorified. In the cross, you and I become the beneficiaries of the greatest 
act of love that has ever been known to humankind. And as we contemplate what goes on there, even as we consider Christ hanging on that cross, we, we understand in that, that ironic way, that sort of profound way that Jesus is glorified. And in that death of Christ on the cross, just three short days later, Christ has risen from the dead and is glorified for all eternity. And we await that final glorification, if you will, when Jesus returns. Yeah, Jesus is talking about glory of a, of a different sort. And there on that cross, we come to grips with the deep nature of what goes on there. I love what the old uh, hymn says, in the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life overtake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy, never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with, with peace and joy. In the cross of Christ I glory. The Apostle Paul puts it this way when it comes to the cross, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in that, I might add, His great glory, the greatest glory of all, we are through the cross once and for all reconciled to our, to our God. And in that, we are able to enjoy the benefits of relationship with Him that is undeterred, that is unblocked. We, we know of God and His deep love for us through the very thing that Jesus did on the cross. Well, as it's often the case with Jesus, He gets personal. And he, um, he does that again, still in the upper room. He and Peter get into a, a, a dialogue about what is to come, about what would, uh, what would end up being the eventuality of that last week of Christ's life. Peter's all gung-ho, as we know, and he lets Jesus know in no uncertain terms that he will stay with him all the way through. Jesus knew better. In fact, Jesus checks Peter by saying, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And that's exactly what Peter did. He disowned Jesus three times. He, he denied him. He denied Jesus three times in the press of everything that would transpire. And all of us are left to consider what we would have done in the pressure of that very moment that, uh, that Peter found himself in. As we know, Peter was absolutely devastated by what he did. He was disappointed in, in himself, a lot like we get sometimes. You know, we, the, the very thing we know not to do, we do, just like the Apostle Paul uh, shares in Romans 7, we, we do the very same thing. And Paul, in the end, uh, uh, says, who's going to save me from this predicament? And he, he says, thank God it's been done through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Yeah, 
Peter was disappointed in himself, a lot like uh, we get sometimes, and we know not where to turn. Jesus, though, knew Peter in all his failings, but he also knew who Peter could become. That's the same for us. He, He knows us in our failings as well, but he knows who we can become as well. Later on, upon his resurrection, Jesus uh, approaches Peter, and he, uh, he asked him point blank three separate times, interesting, three separate times, if Peter loved him. Jesus is challenging like that. He always challenges us about our love for him. Three times, Peter responded in the affirmative by saying, you know that I love you. And even on that third time, Peter gets a little bit unsettled. You know that I love you. Each time, Jesus reminded Peter that he now had a a job to do. Jesus wanted Peter to to love his sheep just as Jesus had, had loved them. In Peter's despair, Jesus in all love forgave Peter and offered Peter a brand new life, which would would be marked by the sort of sacrificial love that had characterized the one who was now saving him. And that one was Jesus Christ, the very one who forgives us, the very one who who wants us to, 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 to live with this new commandment of loving one another, of then going and and loving sacrificially as it relates to those we we meet. Jesus stands to offer the same love that he offered to Peter, to, to you and to me. Even when we have been guilty of denying him, just like Peter did, Jesus and his love stands to forgive us, even us. He works to turn our lives around and to send us forth to love one another. May we live this new commandment out each and every day. May it be true as we relate to one another here. May it be true and alive and real as we move from this fellowship and minister to those who are around us. May God bless us all. And let's pray together. God, thank you for the new commandment to love one another. May we, Lord, uh, love as Christ loved. May we consider deeply here on our Lenten journey to to consider the love that uh, was at play as Christ is on the cross. And as we uh, ponder the cross, may it be that uh, we are awake and alert to the love of Christ. And if you're offered through him to forgive us and to make for us the opportunity for new life. So in the Christ of, in the cross of Christ, we, we glory, Lord. We thank you for this great gift. As tough as it is, we 
we, we thank you and praise you and seek to offer our lives to you. Lord, we do love you. We need you. And we give you our lives, all in the name of Christ. Amen.